Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Greetings. Today I greet you with joy. We should be the most joyful people on earth by far. Amen? Amen. We have so much to look back on with our great heritage. You know, we're not just uh, Robinettes who can look back to what the Robinettes have done. We're not just Foises to look back at the great exploits of the Foises. Even the Nickersons. Kyle was telling me he's related to uh, the author of Gulliver's Travel, Mr. Swift, and also to who else? Who did you say? The Wells Fargo Banking Company, right? A lot of good that's done, Kyle, right? But uh, it's not only that we have those things, but we have the heritage, our godly heritage, and the great victories, when, when we hear about the victory of, uh, you know, of the children of Israel and of God over the Egyptians, that's our family. You know, that's us. That's our story. That's where we came from. You know, those people who were not a people have become what? The people of God. David understood this. David understood that part of our joy right now is because of all the things that God has done in our past and the things that God will do in our future. And because of that, we could always be a people of joy. David sang about this in Psalm 30, which I'll talk a little bit about in my message today. I've been studying the Psalms in a particular way because if I really feel I can do it, I'm going to try to teach through the book of Psalms here at the church. And I really think it'll be a great blessing for us. But in studying the history of Psalm 30, uh, it lifted me to a great and wonderful place. So I'm going to read it for you today, and we'll talk a little bit about it in, our, uh, in my sermon today, which is called David's Trinity of Joy. Psalm 30 said this, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, and thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endured but for a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. 
The Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. And I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me, O Lord, and be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing, and hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Could we have a more joyful psalm? than that today on this Advent week three where we are thinking about joy and how the people of God were sustained by it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, your people, have come before you today. Lord, coming, dancing with joy in our hearts, O God, excited and glad for the great things that you have done the great things that you are doing and the great things that we know that you will do. For as your word says, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, O God, our Father. And Lord God, we pray today, Lord, that as we come before you, you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, that you would change us to be like you, that you would feed us with manna from heaven, that we indeed might be more like you when we leave this place than we were when we came. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said? Amen. Remain standing for just a moment as I read for you my text today. And as I was reflecting on what I'm about to preach on here as I was as we were praying a moment ago I was thinking maybe the the, the better title might be David's threefold cord of joy might be a better title for it second Samuel chapter 6 verses 20 through 22 is quite a scene it's a pretty amazing time in the life of a man that we get a little picture into 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20 says, Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came to meet David, and he said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens and his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said, Michael, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father. And before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people and of the Lord of over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And in fact, I will be yet more vile than this. I will be base even in my own sight. And the maidservants which thou spoke of, of them shall I be had in honor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today you're going to take us through a journey in the life of a man who according to your word was a man who pleased you in many ways and, and your heart, he was after your heart. And Lord, I pray today as we go into this time and we consider joy that we would see indeed what we might be missing 
we can see how we can fully embrace joy for the gift that it is that you have given us today. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Joy is a sound. It's a song. It's a dance. It is the dance of a reveling spirit, soul, and body. It's a full-orbed, full-bodied experience emoting about the good things that God has done. It is a deep expression. It is a threefold expression all at once, containing not just what is going on now, but what has gone on in the past and what will go on in the future. Joy is what God has done, what He is doing. And by faith, we hope and we know that He is going to do in the future. This threefold cord of joy that I'm talking about today is something that cannot be taken from us and it cannot be broken by the spell of evil that may at times seem to come like a dark cloud around us because the devil might be in our face and he might be in your ear and he may try to remind you even of things, but there are things that he cannot take away from us that God has done. There are things that God is doing that he cannot stop. And there are things that God will do that he will never prevail against. Can we say thanks be to God? Today on this third Sunday of Advent, we lit the pink candle for joy. The world waited in hope as we talked about and we told you about Joseph, how hope sustained him through his difficult times. The, The world waited by faith and of course Abraham personified that and that he was willing to leave his friends and his family and go out looking for a city. A city that the man that we're going to talk about found. The city of Zion, the city of God, that God would establish his kingdom on earth in the city of Jerusalem and take a people who were not a people and make the people of God. All of our patriarchs, uh, David personifies joy like no other because God gave him the gift that Israel waited for for all of these years. As we said, and as the scripture said, that Abraham in all these, it says they lived and they did not live to see the promises. But David lived to see the promises. And when David lived to see the promise and he lived to see uh, God's plan come to fruition in his own life, he not only had his own joy, he had the joy of a nation that had waited for hundreds and even thousands of years for a time when darkness would be dispelled by light. When the people of God would rear up above their enemies and would put their feet upon their necks and they would begin to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth. As we come to uh, the end cap of the book of Psalms, David ends it in these two chapters and one commentator said it was like uh, he put these end caps as they developed the Psalms that have Psalm 1 has the exact same verses as Psalm 150 on the end. And if one of these Psalms is about duty and about obedience and about righteousness, the last one at the end is about the joy that comes from doing it. Because what is the chief end of man, Brother Luke? It is to glorify God and what? enjoy him forever and we glorify him in our obedience the bible said that that men would see our good works and they would glorify our father which is in heaven 
But there is a joy that comes even as we saw Abraham's joy, his mountaintop faith. The joy that came there wasn't in that he found that he was brave enough. He found that God was able even to make a man like him brave enough and faithful enough to offer his only son and believe that God would raise him from the dead. Psalm 149 says, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, praise him, congregation of saints, let Israel rejoice in him that made him, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king, let them praise his name in the dance, let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. There's nothing more pleasurable, I believe, God sees in us when joy excites our whole body and our frame, and we get excited and we're like, oh, God has been good to me. Have you ever felt such feelings course through your veins? I bet you have. I bet there have been times when you were discouraged, Andy, you were telling me at that play, you know, you're at that hotel and you're like, you know what? I prayed. I wanted to see this guy. I can't believe it, you know? And all of a sudden, standing right in front of you is the guy you prayed you would see. And you're in your mind, I know you're not a little kid, I know you're not a little Geneva or, or you know. And Cusel kids, you don't have to tell if you're dead. But did, did you do a happy dance? Did you do a happy dance? You know, but inside there was something dancing, wasn't Annie? Like, you know what? God loves me. He cares enough about me that even though I'm not going to be here in the next day to see this concert, God brought the man I wanted to see the day before to see me. And not only did he bring him to see me, but to, but to make sure that I recognized him and to make sure that I got to even spend some time with him. And then the man invites you to come up again. I mean, come on. Inside of you, there's some child of you that wants to go, I hope nobody's looking, but man, God is good to me. Isn't God good to me? That happens inside of me all the time. God is so good to me. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. God did this to take pleasure in you, Andy. He wants to show you that he loves you and that he has a future that's so glorious and beautiful. And if you think the things, these little things that he does are great, wait till you see what great salvation he has for all of us. Amen. He says he will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory and let them sing aloud upon their beds. You know, I love to have an orderly home, but... My kids, if they want to beat me and, you know, they want to win, all they got to do is be noisy in their rooms and let it be singing to the Lord because I won't be coming in and telling them to be quiet. I can tell you that. When the Bible commands for us to sing loud upon our beds to the Lord uh, and, and we're doing it, then praise be to God. That ought to be what the Christian does. He ought to go to bed at night with a song of praise. Oh, God. You brought me out of the miry clay. You set my feet on the rock to stay. You put a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. Let the high praises of God be in our mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them judgment written. This honor have all the saints. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts and praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and the organs and praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Are you starting to hear something from a man who knows what joy is all about? I'm sorry to say that as I reflected about the joy of what it says, where we're supposed to do it and how we're supposed to do it, I thought to myself, I think that somehow at Foundation Church we might not be doing it right. 
I've been afraid since I become a Presbyterian and a Reformed pastor that somehow if my joy and exuberance got too much, then people would think we were on a fast track back to where we came from. And as a result, I was afraid of joy in a way that I think is had been wrong and even been harmful to this church. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. If our chief end is to glorify him and enjoy him, we should enjoy him. Amen? We glorify his name by obeying his words, his statutes, his commandments and laws. And in doing these things, we find the joy of heaven. Joy is the fruit of obedience. Joy is the lifter of our heads and our journey. Joy is a full-orbed beauty of our life, of our past, present, and future. When we are in a desperate time, nothing can take away the multitude of our joyful memories, those many times God has answered our prayers, those times He has given us things we could never find, things that we could never even think to ask Him for. And in the same way, by faith, we look to the future of what God will do as He tells us in His Word. Being able to do this enables us to have an ever-present, everybody say, ever-present joy. There's never a time, there's nothing anybody could do to go back and erase what He'd done for you. Can't happen. Nobody can do it. Like Christ one day would do as he faced his darkest hour, Andy read for us today, it was the joy. Everybody say the joy. It was the joy that was set before him. It was with that joy he reached for this joy as he faced death and dishonor. It was by this joy that was set before him he endured the cross, despised the shame, Joy shined before him when he saw you and me standing in the light of his kingdom. When Adam and Eve sinned, they plunged the world into an estate of sin and misery. And from that day forward, as God began the process of making all things new, he gave them hope in a day that things would be different. And by faith, they believed God and they acted on what he said would come to be. And the joy came as they celebrated victory after victory in the kingdom. Joy is the celebration of good things that God has done. But more than that, it falls short of a deeper beauty. Joy is celebration of the goodness of God himself. Because that's better than any memory that we can have of something he has done. We cannot even begin to scratch the surface of the life of David today. This man, a man described as what a man after God's own heart has been and will always be used by God to inspire us in so many ways. From his exaltation from a low estate of a shepherd king to his bravery of the vanquished Goliath of Gath to the sinner who can still teach us to repent in the book of Psalms. David's life teaches so much, but in our text, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see a picture of complete and total rapture, joy that comes over this man. And he does some things here that his people around him, they just think, whoa. We, should, we, we shouldn't do this. You should settle down. You're getting a little too excited, David. But David hadn't gotten too excited. And in his own words, you know, I, I have only begun to get excited. If you think I've been excited, wait till you see how excited I get. I have been joyful and you were humiliated, but wait till you see how much more humiliated you're going to be because I'll be yet more. 
You might go now, come on now, Mark. What, what, are, you, what are you saying? I'm, I'm not saying anything that it didn't say in the Bible. Now, this was a big day for David. And, and you know, I'm, I'm reading about him dancing in the linen ephod and all this stuff. And I'm like, what was he so excited about? You see, David had finally become king of all of Israel. Wouldn't that be something to be excited about? Especially, most of you remembered how he was anointed the eighth brother of his father, Jeff, the eighth son of his father, Jesse, in the little town of Bethlehem. He's anointed as a boy. We don't know exactly how old he was, but most scholars tell us that it was 15 to 22 years from that anointing by the prophet Samuel before this day came where he was anointed finally king. I think this is hard for us to conceive of. You might know that these were difficult years that he suffered where he thought he had lost his wife and his children. He thought he had been defeated. He thought maybe Saul might kill him. And he's running around and he's hiding and he's living in the, with the Philistines. And he's running over here. and he's run. He had a hard 15 to 20 years. And when God then turns all around after 15, 20 years of hopelessness, it might be time to put a jig on. Amen? And so he had finally become king. But that wasn't all that was going on on this day. Because you see, his place in the kingdom and even this answer of this prayer that came to pass, it wasn't enough quite yet to make him joyful because there were a few things that needed to happen before then. Uh, Hiram, king of Tyre, found out that David had become king. And he cut down some beautiful cedar trees and I can almost smell them right now. And he brought masons and, and uh, he brought carpenters and he sent them to David and built him a palace of cedar. I mean, come on guys. Have you, have, you know, I, I've received some nice gifts over the years. What if somebody sent and the materials for and the people to make and built you a palace? Could you handle that, Derek? I mean, wouldn't you just be like, Okay, this is great. I've been anointed king. Now I'm king of Israel. And now the heathen has sent and built a palace of cedar for me. Well, on occasion of that, that is when David wrote our call to worship today. Our call to worship from Psalm 30 is when David realizes this. He sees this palace built. He's in there and he says, you know what? I'm going to dedicate this house to the Lord. And I am going to give this to him for his service. And I'm going to be thankful to God for it. And that standing in the midst of this magnificent gift, David looked back. Everybody say, David looked back. He looked back to what God had done throughout his life. He looked to where he was in the moment. And he also looked forward to what God had promised. And he exploded in joy in Psalm chapter 30 when he said, sing to the Lord, O ye saints, give thanks of remembrance of his holiness, for his anger endures but a moment, but his joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 6, in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. He's talking about my pride. Even when God would do good for me, even though I was proud and I needed brought low, God loved me enough to bring me low so that he could lift me up. And he said, in my proud, I said, I won't be moved. And, and I cried unto thee. And the Lord made supplication. And he says, here, O Lord, have mercy on me. And he talks about in the present, thou hast turned my mourning into dancing. And thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me 
with gladness. He looked not only to the past at what God had done, but he was looking in the right now. I'm standing in this palace that smells like cedar, that is a representation of God's fruition. And I'm writing about that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I won't be able to ever hear this without smelling cedar in my nostrils. Thinking about David going, oh God, what you've done for me is so wonderful and so amazing and I can't even believe it. And I know what this is like personally. I know what it's like personally to be in a dark place, a place where I felt there was no hope, where I saw no future for myself, but God was kind enough to give me a glimpse into the future and bless me. And I remember even sitting in those moments with tears running down my eyes saying, oh God, do you really love me that much? And God whispering in my ears, oh, I love you even more than that. David was feeling that as he wrote these words. He dedicated his home to the Lord. And at the end, he said, to the end, he looked to the future, to the end, that my glory may sing pray, praise to thee, that I may not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. You see, God made a songwriter out of a guy. And to write these kind of songs, you got to go, you got to go into the depths of despair. You got to go to the pain. After dedicating his new palace to God in joy, David went out to battle though. The Philistines that had uh, been a little thorn in the side. I, I learned this week, Steve, something I didn't remember learning before. That Do you know the word Philistine is where you get the word Palestine? I didn't realize that. That these Philistines are still over there. <laughs> They're still not gone. And he had battled against these uncircumcised idol worshipers who had plagued the land of God and the people of God over and over with joy. He remembered how God had guided the stone from his sling in the head of Goliath at Gath. And when those Philistines heard that he had been anointed king and that he had his new house and that he was establishing a city for the people of God, the Philistines arrayed themselves in battle against David immediately because they were not about to let Israel have a foot up. If you remember in the last battle that they had had with them, the big battle where Saul and Jonathan had died, they had taken away the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was not with the people of God, it was not in the city of Zion, it was gone. And so even though David had been anointed king, and even though he had his own palace, his enemies arrayed themselves. You see, this is all, this is all like in one chapter, this is all like laid out. I, this is why, can you see now why David might be leaping and jumping and dancing and making himself vile? He's like, oh yeah. He goes out against the Philistines and, and God speaks to him. And God said, he says, what should I do? And God says, oh, you go out. God leads him into a stunning victory over them as the spirit of God conducts the mulberry trees in a song of praise as the, their leaves begin to rustle as a signal to David. It's time because the Spirit of the Lord rushes in on the Philistines as David does, and they conquer the Philistines on that day. Could you, I can't even, uh, I, I don't even understand this, this kind of joy. But you're never going to understand that kind of joy until you've had that kind of pain, until you've had that kind of difficulty, until you've overcome obstacles like that. 
David's troops attack, defeat the Philistines, and after the battle, as if to say, you know what, I'm glad I have my anointing. I'm glad I'm king. I'm thankful for my palace. I'm glad the Philistines have beat down, but there's something not quite right yet. He said, let's go get the ark. For 20 years, the ark was not with the people of God. Because even after the Philistines didn't want it and they sent it away on a cart, they tried to bring it back. And when they went to, men looked into it. 70 men died looking into it. Wonder what's in here. You know, they look in there and they die. People are terrified to move it. And they take it to this place where it stayed for 20 years. And David said, it's time. It's time to bring it back. And we know that when they went to bring it back, they didn't remember the right way to bring it back. And we know that something very tragic happened. And, you know, I like to say it this way. I don't know how others would say it, but I would say probably a good boy died on that day. Probably a very good boy. He probably was very loved by his mom and his dad, and he was probably a good boy. But he did what he shouldn't do, and God smote him. So they would remember that the ark was God's precious holy thing and that obeying God and doing what God requires is important in his haste and excitement David put the ark on a cart he formed a parade to bring it back but we know what happened but David said well we're going to just find out how to do it and so they look into the word of God and they read the word of God and they say Okay, now we know. It's only supposed to be carried on these poles and it's only supposed to be carried by certain folks. And we're going to do, in fact, we're going to not only do this, we're going to do even more. We're going to go every six paces and we're going to do this and we're going to offer sacrifice. That's not, in the law it doesn't say to do that. But he's like, I want to, I want to show God that we're sorry. I want to show God, I want, I want this to be done right. Second Samuel 6, verse 12, and it was told David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. You see, joy is not just doing anything we want. No matter who, how exuberant we get, we must always understand that even in our joy, we must honor God. Amen? And it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord, when they had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. In verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Wow. The warrior king danced with all of his might before the Lord, and he was girded with a linen ephod. If you wonder what that means, folks, David wore all these kingly robes, but David was like, you know what? All this dignity... All this honor that's been heaped on me, all this position that I have, it's too much for me. I'm throwing it off. And he didn't take all of his clothes off. He just got down to regular people clothes and he began to dance with all this might. And his wife is looking out the window and she's like, oh, mercy, he's gone crazy. What's wrong with him? The Bible says she looked and saw what he was doing and she despised him in her heart. So David with the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting. Everybody say shouting. Shouting. 
with the sound of the trumpet, the ark of the Lord came into the city of David. Can you imagine? I can't imagine a more joyful thing. The ark is returned. David is king. The palace is built. The Philistines have been defeated. God is having his holy will. And they're excited. If there was ever a time to dance, it was then. They had it all. They had the past victories. They had the current situation. And they had the hope of the future. All three things together. And David is in the middle of it all. And he's dancing. And he gets the joy that all of us and all of Israel had hoped that they could have. And as the ark of the Lord came in, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and she saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord in and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offerings, burnt ones in peace when he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He dealt among all the people, even among the multitude of Israel, so well to the women as the men. To everyone he gave a cake of bread and a piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone, to their own houses. And David returned to bless his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said in a sarcastic and snarky and despising way, how glorious was the king of Israel today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaidens and his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. You see, you know what Michael didn't understand? She didn't understand joy. You see, dignity has a place. But here, the man after God's own heart put dignity in its place. Dignity has no place in the parade of joy. David's so-called undignified display of worship before the Lord came deep from the wells of years of mighty salvation. God's hand of deliverance and the bounty of his blessings for the man or woman of God, these are deep wells. Amen. Joy listed as the second gift in the gifts of the Spirit by Paul. And I don't think for any, uh, you know, just haps, happenstance, joy surround us, surrounds us and should surround us in our past, our present, and our future. As it was with David, may it be it with us. Amen. This was how Israel survived so many years of adversity and seeming hopelessness. They became known as those people of song and dance. When the people thought of Israel, that's what they thought. They're like, here are those singers and dancers, those people that, that started off their trek into the promised land doing what? Not pulling out their swords, but doing what? Walking around, walking around Jericho and then shouting and blowing their trumpets. They were the singers and the dancers and the shouters, these crazy people. You see, that's what God wants his people to be. They did it so much that when their enemies took them captive, the psalmist wrote Psalm 137, describes a scene that is by most accounts, at least to me, it's one of the most sad scenes of scripture. Remember this, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept as we remembered Zion. 
We hung our harps on the willow trees, and they that carried us away said, sing us a song. All the irony of it all. They that wasted us, it says in the psalm, they required of us myrrh. Sing us a song of Zion. They responded, oh, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? But then the psalmist turns, though, to his source of joy because they could even sing there. He said, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. Because one day they would be captive and Jerusalem would be burned. And they would sit by the willows of Babylon, hanging their harps. And they would remember this day where David danced before the Lord. This day when the ark was returned. This day when David became king. They would remember his dancing. And even in their sorrow, they would be ignited by joy there by the rivers of Babylon. Because the rest of the psalm reaches forward. If you read it, it doesn't end with sadness. But it remembers with them looking into the future of what God is going to do. He says this, he said, I'll tell you what, he says, God will not forget us. God will not forget that song, Edom, that you are singing about me right now. And the song Edom was singing was, raise it, raise it, destroy it, Jerusalem, destroy Jerusalem to the foundation stones. And he said, oh, God one day is going to be happy and he's going to laugh when those very stones crush you into and grind you into powder. You see the people of God, even in the midst of the burned out city, even in the midst of their tabernacle being carried away or whatever it was, any, even in the midst of that, they can say, oh, but let me tell you about a day that's coming. And I may be sitting in the ashes of my defeat right now, but I serve a living God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. I serve a God who brought my people out of the land of Egypt, who delivered us with a mighty hand, who took us through the Red Sea, who was with us when we marched around Jericho. Oh yes, I'm sitting here right now, but I can sit here in the midst of sorrow and pain, and I can sit here with joy because of what he has done and what he will do for me. Wow. Joy is the past. Joy, the future sustained by the rivers of pain and sorrow. They can and they will do the same for us. Let's read again what David said. And David said, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all of his house. It was before him. I was dancing. He appointed me the ruler over the Israel. I will play music before him. And then he looked to the future and he said, I will yet be more vile than thus. <laughs> I will be base. You see, those who don't understand joy mock it. But kids... Know that you know what happened to this woman who mocked her husband that day for his joy, for his dance that seemed so funny and so vile and so shameful. This woman never had a child the rest of her life because she mocked this man who was joyful. 
I pray that we don't become the austere Presbyterians who look at the joy that comes from some people. Oh, well, they're just a little bit simple-minded. Well, mark me among them. And may I always be among them. May I not be too austere to go, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made. May I not be too joyful to, to lean back and go, Oh, He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. Oh, He puts a song in my soul today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. If there was something to be joyful about, it ought to be about what we gather for every Sunday when we come together on the Lord's Day. Because that's what we're doing. We're remembering what he has done. We're remembering what he is doing. And we're hopeful about what he will do in our lives. We should be the most joyful people on planet earth. At the Christmas party, Laura, I was kind of wondering how you were going to deal with the biggest event we had in our church this year. And sometimes hard things are hard for me to hold. And I try to forget them because they hurt so bad. And when I saw Kirsten, tears begin to flow. And I'm almost sorry that we're so sad because I know you're so much more sad. Sad that I could be. But I'll tell you, after they showed her deteriorating and coming close to death, Laura, I think it was by the inspiration of the Spirit that you put that picture of her where she's smiling and she's well. And it was after we lost her. I, I know God inspired you to do that. And I tried, it to be, I tried to be mindful, Andy, because can I tell you what I wanted to do when I saw it? I wanted to stand up and go, Woo! All right. I wanted, I wanted to stand up in joy right then because she's where none of us are right now. Where we all want to be. As David said of the child that he lost, you know, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. And I wanted to rejoice and I wanted to have joy because she's in the presence of joy today. Amen. I didn't want to be callous, but I, I, I swear I wanted to jump right out. I just wanted to go, oh God, one day we'll see her. Isn't that what the apostles said? He said, I've, I've, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. And now there is laid up for me a crown. And I was just thinking, I, can, I, I, I wish that we could have put a crown right on her head in that picture because I know she's wearing one. You see, the Bible says we are not to mourn like those who have no hope. And I would say today that we can mourn like those who have joy. Joy that says it doesn't matter what we're going through right now and the pain and the hurting that we're going through because we serve a God where joy always comes in the morning. That He always turns our weeping to dancing because we are to be the dancingest happiest, most joyful people on planet earth because we know something they don't know. You say they walk around in darkness and they think that if th this life is their only hope. No wonder why they're so sad. 
No wonder why they care so much about what they have and, and what people think of them because this is it for them. But we don't live like that. We can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We can walk with Him knowing that we may not be important in the world, but one day we will realize that we are the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when He appears, we shall be like Him. Amen. You see, the children of Israel, they needed this to sustain themselves year after year through adversity, through difficulty, through judgment, through captivity to the time when a little baby was born. Everybody say joy to the world. You see, just like Jesus he was anointed king, David was, in Bethlehem. But it was a number of years before he was crowned. Amen? David had a lot of years of difficulty. He lived out a picture, of course, flawed and, 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 and shadowy as his life was, sinful as it was. But as I'm closing, I'll, I think of his prayer in Psalm 51. He's older in his life. And I love that he did not say, Lord, I want to, I want to, to be respected. Lord, don't let the people look down on me. Let me keep my kingdom. But what does he say? He says, Lord, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation take not your holy spirit from me amen folks today joy let it be our sustainer let it guide us let it help us for the fruit of the spirit is this love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith you see the weapons of our warfare they're not carnal things that we can lose you know our battle axes and our swords they're mighty through god though Joy is one of those great weapons of our warfare. The enemy doesn't understand it, and they, they can't do anything about it. Nobody can take away what God's done. They could look at you. They could tell you you're a fool. They could lock you up in chains and tell you they have the power over you, but maybe you'll be like Paul and Silas, who had something they didn't understand. They, they, sang, they sang praises in the night, chained up in a prison, looking like there was no hope. And they sang, and they understood that this joy had the power to break their chains. I don't think they thought it would. I just think they knew it could. And they thought, you know what? I'm going to sing. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today. A song of His praise. Hallelujah. Remember that I fall to the pit with its gloom and despair. I praise the dear Father who answered my prayer. What are the Psalms if they are not that? Over and over and over. May we be a people who remember God's greatness and believe His greatness is still yet to come. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for so many gifts, Lord. If we...
took the time to talk about them all, we would never be able to stop talking. But Lord, today especially, we thank You for joy. You're so good to us, not just to save us, not just to give us an inheritance incorruptible that fadeth not away, that's reserved in heaven for us, but You've given us joy and laughter and happiness and gladness, O oh God, and power over our enemies in it. It confounds and confuses them, but may it be a threefold cord that cannot be broken. And a gift from you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.